Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room, there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So it was the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be sacrificed. That's what verse 7 says. Let that sink in for a while. The Passover must be sacrificed. You remember that old feast that God had instituted long ago in the Old Testament when he delivered his people out of Egypt. They had to kill this spotless lamb and apply the blood to the doorpost so that the angel would pass over, that's where the word comes from, and not go into the house and kill the firstborn. In other words, there was this lamb that was killed instead of that son, that firstborn. Do you think it was a coincidence that Jesus died at Passover? No, the scribes and the priests and the rulers, they plotted to kill him, but they said not on the feast because it would be an uproar, not on the feast. But God overruled, he said, my lamb will die at Passover. So that's what happened. The lamb that was foreordained before the foundation of the world. God had his calendar and exactly at Passover he would die. But before that Jesus gave instructions to his disciples to prepare the Passover feast. And he gave instructions as we read in verse 8 through 13 in such a way that the location would remain secret. Because he knew Judas is going to betray me. I don't want him to know where we're going to have this Passover. So he gave instructions, follow this man with a picture on his head and all that. So that he was sure that that evening, that Passover feast would be uninterrupted. Why was that? Was he trying to hide or was he scared? Not at all. Just now we sang the lion and the lamb. He is bold as a lion and a few hours later he would just step forward. Whom do you seek? If you seek me, then let those go away. No fear at all. But he wanted to do something first. He really, really wanted this Passover. Verse 15, I have earnestly desired to eat, eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Actually, in Greek it says, with desire I have desired, which is a, actually a Hebrew way of expressing intensity, really 
intense. What was this intense desire about? It was the night in which he would be arrested, just a few hours later. The false trial would continue through the night. The next morning he would be scorched and then brought to the cross, nailed to that cross, and he would die. He was about to fulfill what this Passover was all about. And in that context, he institutes something new, the Lord's Supper. And therefore, when he says, I have earnestly desired, we apply it directly to ourselves and to our time, because he was about to institute something for us, the church, his bride, to be observed, to be continued through the ages till he comes. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. And we will go to that chapter later. So here we are as a church. And the church is so precious to Christ. Let's always remember that. The church is precious to Christ. He died for it. And then he says, with desire, I have desired. This do in remembrance of me till he comes. It's really the gift, a gift that God has given to us that links his first coming through the ages to his second coming. We have been doing this for 2,000 years already. And when we remember him, we look back and we look forward. Why do we do it? Because he asked for it. We do it for love, don't we? We love him. He said, remember me. But what is it, taking the Lord's Supper? I want to look at three things. Let me go to the next slide. It is a physical action, it's eating and drinking. At the same time, it's a mental action and it is a spiritual action. And then I will end with some homework for all of us, including myself. So, a physical action. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, his disciples were actually discussing among themselves who of us is the most important. Then later they went out into that garden and he asked them, please stay awake watch and pray but they fell asleep then they came to arrest him and they all ran away they brought him to the cross and God made it dark he was alone all alone and it reminds me of that passage in Joshua chapter 3 where God gives instructions to Joshua about crossing that river Jordan and he said in verse 4 that the ark should go first yet there shall be a distance be between you and it, the ark about 2,000 cubits that's about a kilometer do not come near it that's the instruction to Joshua so you see that ark which is a type of Jesus 
was to cross that river alone to make way for all the people of God to enter the promised land you see that picture he was so alone remember that verse Psalm 22 my God my God why have you forsaken me so alone and then he died and three days later he rose and Thomas didn't believe it cannot be and then suddenly Jesus stands in their midst and he says Thomas come put your finger here see my hands put out your hand and place it in my side and I brought a very impressive painting of that I love this painting it's almost inappropriate he had to remove some clothes it's it's so close so near no distance anymore remember me and we of course we can't do this we can't put our hands in his wounds not yet I believe one day we will see his scars I believe he took his scars up to heaven it was the glorified body of Jesus that Thomas saw that day and they are not a defect they are a glory we don't have that yet but he gave us something else very simple bread and a cup no ceremonies no candlelight no rituals long formulas no ordained clergyman it doesn't need to be me or some of the elders to conduct the Lord's Supper at least I don't find that in scripture it's very simple and actually we take the bread and the cup as if from the hands of the Lord himself he is the host we are his honored guests all equal brothers and sisters in Christ from quite a wide range of nations isn't that wonderful and we simply take a piece of bread and a sip of wine or grape juice I don't know what we do here as long as it is the fruit of the vine because that is the hint we are getting in the New Testament and there's a dignity in that it's not donuts and coke it's bread and the fruit of the vine it's serious it's solemn and yet very joyful and when we take the bread we can actually feel it in our hands and taste it with our tongue and when we take the cup we see it first and then we smell it and then when we take it down we taste it it involves all our senses actually God gave us something that involves all our senses not to satisfy our bodily needs of course it's called a supper but if it were to feed on it's hardly a supper right it's just a piece of bread and a mouthful of wine yet it's eating it's a physical action but it is meant to help us with the mental side of things and that is my second point 
It's a mental action. When we sit down and take the bread and drink the wine, we don't close our eyes and go in dream mode or something. We, we may close our eyes, it might help actually. But not to be mentally passive or to wait for some mystical feeling to fill our brains. We're very active mentally. We direct our minds to him. Remember is the word. Remember me. It doesn't say do this in memory of me. That is what religious people do in this world. They remember or they go on uh, what you call that a pilgrimage to the graves of the founders of their religion and they do that in memory of them they died they are still dead but we actively direct our minds to a person who died and rose again who can actually see us right now and appreciate it then we take the bread and drink the wine and he is with us he promised that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I remember taking the bread and the cup, asking myself or asking the Lord, on which seat are you sitting? Right in front, at the back? Probably he would take the back seat. It's a bit like how he is. No need to decide on that. He is in our midst. He's here. And we remember him. Not in memory of like he died and too bad, but let's remember him. He rose and he's in our midst. We're not sharing bread and wine to massage our beliefs or talk each other into some fake hope or comfort. We remember facts, history. 2,000 years ago, he died and rose. And we, we, we have the whole Bible to help us with that. Just now you mentioned Abraham sacrificing Isaac. I put that in my sermon already. And it's nice how the Spirit leads and brings things together. Genesis chapter 2. Abraham sacrificing Isaac, his son. It's like the whole counsel of God, his plan of salvation bursting out of the page, page 22 in my Bible, as if God could not wait any longer to keep this for himself, he presents it right there in the beginning. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, first mention of the word love in the Bible, and offer him as a burnt offering. And then later in the chapter, God will provide the lamb for a burnt offering. And then you have the sacrifices in Leviticus that all speak of Christ, and so does the tabernacle and all its furniture. And think of David meeting Goliath all alone. And when he returns, King Saul asks, what does he ask? Whose son are you? Whose son are you? And straight away it says, Jonathan, loved him as his own soul and then we think of the son of David the son of God 
who went out all alone to once and for all defeat the enemy. Don't we love him? And then we have the Psalms of David, Psalm 22, 69, where you see Christ on the cross as accurately as if it was writ written by an eyewitness, written by David in a time when there was no such thing as Roman crucifixion. Read it at home for yourselves, Psalm 22 and 69. And the list can go on and on. Then we have the Gospels, of course, very accurate. More real in a sense than any actor in a Jesus movie can present it. Read your Bible, beginning to end. It will help you to remember him, to focus, direct your mind on him. I think it's for a reason that the Holy Spirit puts the Lord's Supper in the context of the local church. We will turn to 1 Corinthians 11 later. And that chapter deals with the Lord's Supper. And there you have it in verse 17. Since you come together. Verse 18. When you come together as a church. Verse 20. When you come together in one place. And verse 33 and 34. When you come together. Technically you could have the Lord's Supper at home. But it's just that you don't find that in scripture. They always came together as a church. That is, that's the norm. Right in Acts chapter 2 you have it. And they devoted themselves to the apostle, apostles teaching. And the fellowship. The breaking of bread. And the prayers. So the breaking of bread is another term for the Lord's Supper. And initially they did that every day. And in chapter 20 of the book of Acts, you have Paul traveling to Jerusalem. And he was in a rush because he wanted to make it for Pentecost. So he bypassed Ephesus, actually, for that reason. But still, he stays seven days in Troas because the church would come together to break bread on the first day of the week, verse 7. And Paul wouldn't want to miss it. There's more than one reason for breaking bread as a church. But a very practical reason is this. And I was impressed by that again this, this morning. When we come together as a church for worship and to partake of the Lord's Supper, by that worship, by the songs that we sing, the prayers that we uh, offer to God, like our brother just now, just a few words that he shared. It all works together. We help each other to direct our minds to him. That's something that you cannot do at home. Of course you can have fellowship with God. But to come together as a church, his bride. I mean, the global church is his bride. But we come as a local church. And Jesus is in our midst. And we sing and we praise and we worship and we help each other to direct our minds to him. I'm a bit hesitant to repeat what I said last week, but it warms my heart to sing and to worship 
and the songs were selected and these people they practiced and, and Tina plays the piano just come in time if you can make it I know there's some of you who have very valid reasons to, to be late and we're not going to, to check on you, you know, what time you... That's why I didn't sit at the back, I didn't want to... <laughs> really, I didn't want to see who is coming in late, but just... My sister Michelle is standing at the door. Yeah, because, because she wants to welcome, but she won't tell me. <laughs> no, really, it's so great to come as a church to sing and worship and then experience for yourself how, as I pray throughout the week, Lord lead me and other brothers who preach, I'm sure they will do the same thing. Guide us with your Holy Spirit to speak the words that you want your people to hear and then to just realize how it all blends in together under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Don't miss it. Then lastly, it's a spiritual action. See, the first two things, the physical action and uh, even the mental action, anybody can do that. Anybody who knows a bit about Christianity, even the devil could do that if he had a body. He could eat, remember the facts, acknowledge that they are true. And certainly many do that. There are many unsaved people, non-believers, who partake in the breaking of bread because they think it will help them on their spiritual journey or something. It's quite a serious mistake to do that. And why is that? It's just a piece of bread, a sip of wine. What's so serious about that? Well, there is a spiritual side to it. Eating the bread and drinking the wine physically represents the participation, the communion of the blood and the body of Christ spiritually. You can't do that if you're not a believer. That doesn't mean that you're not welcome here next week. If there's anyone in the room who doesn't know Christ as his Savior yet, you're more than welcome to come and see, observe what we're doing. It's not, you know, secret, obscure, like blood and human flesh. It, it got that reputation in the early days, but it's not. We proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus. It's not private. It's just, if you're not a believer, you cannot participate. Maybe you say, well, that's not very kind. I am not the host. He is. It is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, the chapter that I mentioned already, that, that passage that deals with the Lord's Supper, you have this term, Lord, seven times. So what we do here next week is really under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let me put it like this. If Jesus is still knocking at the door of your heart, you need to open that door first and let him in, and then you can eat with him. 
I believe you need to be a baptized believer. Why do I say baptized? Actually, for the same reason, his lordship. When you trust him as your savior, he is also your lord. And he said you need to be baptized. Why would you participate in the Lord's Supper, remember his death, and not identify with that death and resurrection of Christ for yourself publicly through baptism? That's what baptism is about. So I would say, first things first. But back to the spiritual action. This spiritual communion of the blood and the body of Christ. What is that? And where do you get that? Oh, you get it in 1 Corinthians 10. Let's turn to that chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16 through 18. First Corinthians 10 verse 16 the cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ the bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ for we though many are one bread and one body for we all partake of that one bread observe Israel after the flesh are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar so verse 16 you have the communion of the blood and the body of Christ the Greek word is koinonia maybe you have heard that somewhere koinonia verse 18 partakers of the altar and the Greek word is koinonoi so it's related to that koinonia the key verse is really verse 18 Paul is using an analogy there In the Old Testament, in some cases, when the people brought their sacrifices, some were burned totally, but some they could actually eat from the meat, especially the, the peace offering. I think in the peace offering, if you would like to study that for yourself, you can learn a lot about the Lord's Supper as well. It's participating, eating, They didn't eat the altar, and the sacrifice didn't miraculously become the altar. That's what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, that you know, when we take the bread, it becomes body of Christ. The wine becomes blood of Christ. It's not true. They didn't eat the altar. But they were, as they ate the sacrifice, participating in the altar. That is what happens on that altar forgiveness of sins restored fellowship with God that's what the altar stands for that's what happened that altar and that is what this word koinonia means here the share which one has in anything a participation fellowship recognized and enjoyed so in verse 16 the communion of the blood and the body really is that by faith and therefore a non-believer cannot do it by faith we enjoy 
and are nourished by the effects of the blood that was shed and the body that was given. As we eat and drink physically, we taste, we see, we feel, we even smell and eat and chew and swallow physically, something else prettily takes place down in our hearts and we feast, so to say, on the sacrifice of Christ. We spiritually eat him and all that he has accomplished. We who are in Christ, I wrote this down, we who are in Christ through faith are in all the value of the sacrifice of Christ before God. Let me repeat that. We who are in Christ by faith are in all the value of the sacrifice of Christ before God. And the Supper is an outward expression of that. Isn't that wonderful? We remember Him. Finally, some homework for next week. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 through 32. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine, examine himself and, let, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, that means pass away. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. These are solemn words, and not so nice to close with, actually. It's serious. And the reason Paul writes to the Corinthians is because they were really making a mess of it. They were messing it up. And God disciplined them quite severely, verse 30. So the homework I will leave you and myself with is twofold. First thing is examine yourself. That doesn't mean check whether you are good enough. Thank God is not to check whether we are good enough. The Lord's Supper is there in the first place because we are not good enough. That's why he came. That's why he died for us. And when you do this introspection, you will find out that you are way worse than you thought you were. You're not checking whether you're good enough. The question is, do you trust Him with it? Do you bring all that you find inside to Him? Confess, repent. Settle things between yourself and God. And if necessary, between yourself and your brother or sister or your neighbor. And the end result of this examination should not be, oh, I think I better stay away. 
what we read is this let the person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup so the conclusion of this examination is Lord if there's something that I need to settle I'll settle it so that next week I will come and participate whatever is not right with you was made right when Jesus gave his body and his blood when you confess your sins God forgives fellowship is restored and Jesus looks forward to welcome you at his supper secondly prepare for worship when we come to remember the Lord next week we don't want to come with empty hands so read your Bible meditate on him and then come and give him the worship of your heart from what you have gleaned by reading the scriptures maybe you say where do I start this quite a thick book well, basically you can start anywhere but let me help you a bit just suggesting something not saying that you should just now I mentioned Psalm 22 Psalm 69 already when Jesus had this last Passover you read in Matthew 26 that they sung a hymn now this refers according to Jewish tradition during Passover they would sing Psalms 113 through 118 let me suggest to you that you read those Psalms at home and just realize that Jesus just hours before nails would pierce his hands and feet sung those words Psalm 113 to 118 just read it think of what must have gone through his soul really when he sang some of those words now that's just a suggestion as I said you can basically start anywhere in scripture you will always find Christ in there so that's the homework and I hope that the things I shared with you will help you to prepare for the Lord's Supper next week shall we pray and then after I pray I would like to uh, call our brother uh, Shaba and his family forward and then pray for them uh, as they go to KL uh, this week this week is not so serious yet but next week they uh, go again and then a major decision needs to be made as to whether they will be accepted into Canada that's, that's how it is right and uh, so there will be an interview the 29th and the decision will be on that same day so it's very nerve-wracking maybe if you want to learn patience brother Saba and his family they have been patient for six years already so let us pray and then I will ask you forward and anyone of us would be nice if we all come forward actually and surround them as we pray for them as a church father we thank you for what you have left when the Lord Jesus went back to heaven we 
didn't see him anymore. The disciples didn't see him anymore, but they had something. And we have something left with us, the bread and the cup, as symbols really that help us to mentally and spiritually remember the Lord Jesus. So we pray, Lord, help us this week to prepare for that solemn and yet very joyful occasion. Help us to meditate on your word, to glean from the scriptures precious things that will help us to worship you and help us to examine ourselves. We thank you that it's not something that we do like all the time and look inward all the time. We can look up as Christians. We have our foundation in you. We are accepted in all the value of the blood of Jesus. But still, sometimes we will need to look inside just to check whether there is something that we need to settle. Help us to do that. Bring it to you and know that your forgiveness is complete. Help us to restore things towards our brothers and sisters, our neighbors when necessary. And help us to come next week. Not because we are worthy, but because we are made worthy by the blood of Jesus. We pray these things in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. So maybe we can come forward and pray for our family.